The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. A very happy Mother's Day weekend to you. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. I've got a very special program for you today, and it will help you get a good understanding of something that might be pretty vague to you now, but will change how you deal with investments, personal finances, even currency in the future. I'm talking, of course, about blockchain, Bitcoin, and digital assets. Unlike most of my broadcasts for you each week here on the show, where we do a wide variety of subjects on a wide variety of personal financial planning issues, this particular program is going to be completely devoted to Bitcoin and digital assets. And for that reason, it's more important than ever. I mean, it's always important, but this week it's more important than ever that you listen to the entire show. You remember that old bit about the uh, three blind men who walk up to an elephant? One of them grabs the elephant by a hind leg and says, wow, I'm holding a tree trunk. Another one walks underneath the elephant and says, wow, I'm walking under a bridge. And the third one grabs the elephant's trunk and says, I'm holding on to a snake. Well, that's what you're going to experience if you only listen to part of today's broadcast, because we're going to be covering a broad array of subjects within the field of blockchain, Bitcoin, and digital assets. We're going to look at the current state of the industry, regulation, central bank digital assets, the investment world involved with digital assets, scams, and risks. I'm also going to toss in a couple of interviews, including one with Anthony Scaramucci, What on earth does he have to do with Bitcoin? And an interview with Fidelity about how Bitcoin is changing philanthropy. And I'll also be taking calls with some listeners. So let's jump right into the program today. And I really hope that you're able to listen to the whole show. If you can't listen to it immediately, you can download the podcast. Just go to rickedelman.com and you can listen at your convenience to the entire program. I want to start with some great news. This month, Investment Advisor Magazine issued its annual ranking of what they call the IA25, VIPs Pushing Advisors Forward. This is an annual list from the magazine that focuses on advisors, experts, and leaders in financial services who are pushing the industry forward. The 25 winners were picked by the editorial board. They were selected based on work they're doing to move the financial industry in new directions, client experience and investment returns not considered as part of the ranking. And I am very happy to announce that I am one of the IA25. What's really fascinating is that the runners-up, people who were not included in the IA25, included the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell, and the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. You must be joking. So yeah, go figure. I'm in the list, but they're not. Among the others who are in the IA25, SEC Chair Gary Gensler, 
David Blanchett, the head of retirement research at Morningstar, to Sunda Brown Duckett, the CEO of TIAA, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, that's the world's largest money manager with $9 trillion in assets, Abby Johnson, the CEO of Fidelity, and Kathy Wood, the CEO of ARK Investment. I'm really very excited to have been included once again, named among the 25 individuals pushing the investment advisory field forward. In their write-up, IA Magazine said, Rick Edelman leads the RIA Digital Assets Council which just formed a strategic partnership with the Financial Planning Association to provide educational programming and content to help financial planners understand the complexities of digital assets and how these issues can affect their clients' financial plans. Readac also offers a certificate program for financial planners in blockchain and digital assets to help advisors manage their clients' investments. That's a rather timely publication because that's what this show is all about. Let's begin with the current state of Bitcoin and digital assets. You've been hearing a lot about it. A lot of folks now recognize the word Bitcoin, although still the vast majority aren't quite sure what it is. Bitcoin, though, is now worth more than $1 trillion. That's its market capitalization. That's its market value. It is the fastest asset in history to achieve a trillion-dollar valuation. 350 million people worldwide visit digital asset exchange websites on a monthly basis. Just like if you're buying stocks or bonds, you go to the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. There are a bunch of exchanges online devoted to Bitcoin and other digital assets. And 350 million people worldwide visit every month. 8 million U.S. adults own Bitcoin, according to the most recent survey. That's not a big number, considering there are 320 million Americans. But get this. 63%, two out of three U.S. adults, say that they are now crypto-curious, interested in learning more about this. And that is why we're talking about it today. But don't be too quick to buy it, because your spouse or partner might become unhappy. 23% say they'd be upset if their spouse or partner bought Bitcoin. So worldwide, about 100 million people own digital assets. And that's actually a big part of its investment thesis, supply and demand. The supply is fixed. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins produced, but demand is rising. So if you have a rising demand with a fixed supply, that ergo means prices rise. And that fixed supply is appealing to some people. One study says that you contrast that to the U.S. dollar, The federal government printed more money last year because of all the stimulus packages regarding COVID. We printed more money last year than we did from 1776 to 1979. That can't happen with Bitcoin. So where do you get Bitcoin? Well, you might want to just go up to an ATM. There are 15,000 automated teller machines worldwide. They're adding one every hour somewhere in the world. PayPal is now letting people buy Bitcoin through its system. And consumers can now use PayPal to buy Bitcoin, Ether, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and use it with its 29 million online merchants. Venmo, which PayPal owns, also is allowing its customers to buy, hold, and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin. 30% of their customers are using their sites, PayPal or Venmo, to buy Bitcoin. 
Hey, Visa and MasterCard are getting in on the action as well. Both are letting their customers buy Bitcoin and use it to make purchases via their credit cards. The largest department store chain in Switzerland is rolling out Bitcoin gift cards. A defense contractor is letting employees receive their salary in Bitcoin. National Burrito Day was April 1st, and Chipotle gave away $100,000 in Bitcoin, figuring that was a good marketing idea. Uber says they're going to let users pay for their rides in Bitcoin. Clearly, Bitcoin is becoming mainstream. We're seeing it in ordinary everyday life in a commercial and transactional nature. J.P. Morgan just released a survey of 3,400 institutional investors. More than half, 58%, said digital assets are here to stay. That's a big shift in attitude, whereas only a few years ago, a lot of folks considered Bitcoin to be a fad that would soon go away. Now the majority say the opposite. 22% of those institutional investors say they're planning to buy digital assets. 7% say Bitcoin will become, quote, one of the most important assets. Citigroup wrote a report saying Bitcoin is at a tipping point and could one day become the currency of choice for international trade. The CFO of Square says Bitcoin has the potential to become the native currency of the internet. And so no wonder endowment funds are buying Bitcoin. Harvard, Yale, Brown, University of Michigan, Dartmouth, Stanford, MIT, University of North Carolina. CalPERS, the nation's largest pension plan, bought shares in Riot Blockchain. That's a company that does Bitcoin mining. And the CEO of New York Life, who's also the chair of the American Council of Life Insurers, has joined the board of the New York Digital Investment Group. Already on the board, the CEO of Square. Both New York Life and Morgan Stanley have invested in NYDIG. And then there are billionaires. Mark Cuban says he's owned Bitcoin for years. Billionaire Ray Dalio says Bitcoin is, quote, one hell of an invention. There's a new venture capital fund just recently created with investors including billionaire Paul Tudor Jones, the former Pepsi CEO, LL Cool J, Apollo co-founder and billionaire Josh Harris, venture capitalist Jeff Yang, the former COO of Twitter, Anthony Noto, Vincent Viola, he's the owner of the Florida Panthers, and Joe Moglia, the former CEO of TD Ameritrade. And Elon Musk is well-known as a huge supporter of Bitcoin. Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of it and says they're going to let their customers buy Teslas with Bitcoin. Already in America, a third of small and mid-sized American businesses accept Bitcoin. Twitter says it might buy Bitcoin. The Motley Fool already did. They bought $5 million worth of it. And Kevin O'Leary, who used to hate Bitcoin, now says he's putting 3% of his portfolio into it. There are a lot more folks who are pretty favorable about this, and we'll talk about them next here on The Rick Edelman Show. So stay with us for more. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at rickedelman.com. by Talkers Magazine as one of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in the country. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We're talking about Bitcoin, blockchain, and digital assets and how there's a new fascination with this new asset class. 
and how a lot of folks are changing their minds. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest money manager, who I mentioned earlier in the program, was named one of the 25 most influential people in the financial services industry, previously called Bitcoin an index for money laundering. But now he says he's fascinated by Bitcoin and calls it a great asset class. He recently said, quote, we are investing in it at BlackRock. We're studying it. We've made money on it. Even Susie Orman announced, I love Bitcoin. Although the way she's investing is pretty stupid. And I'll smack his Wait, little face. Oh, boy. She's buying the stock of MicroStrategy, which is buying a lot of Bitcoin. And the CEO of MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor, indeed bought billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. His board members are now being paid in Bitcoin. And Saylor is encouraging every other company to do it, too. He gave a presentation to 1,400 public companies, and 5% of those CFOs say they're planning to buy Bitcoin as a corporate asset this year. Nexon already did. They're a huge publisher of video games, publicly traded in the Tokyo Stock Exchange, and they just bought $100 million in Bitcoin, less than 2% of its cash. Jim Cramer, in fact, says it's almost irresponsible for companies not to own Bitcoin. He says he owns Bitcoin and advises investors to own some cash, own some gold, own some Bitcoin. Every corporate treasurer, he says, should, quote, be going to the boards of directors and saying we should put a small portion of our cash in Bitcoin. Goldman Sachs says 40% of its clients are already doing that. They say, quote, client demand for Bitcoin is rising, and they've created a trading desk to deal in Bitcoin futures. Goldman says that they believe there's going to be an explosion in the use of digital currency. Goldman CEO David Solomon says digital currencies are, quote, important to the future of global financial systems, unquote. Goldman Sachs recently hosted a private forum with Mike Novogratz. He's the CEO of Galaxy Digital. And the Goldman chair of global markets, Mike Daffy, he just left Goldman to become the chairman of Galaxy Digital. JP Morgan says they're going to support Bitcoin trading based on client demand. Morgan Stanley is already letting clients buy Bitcoin. You have to be a client at Morgan Stanley for the past six months. You've got to have an aggressive risk tolerance. And you've also got to have $2 million or more in your account. In other words, that's Morgan Stanley's way of saying this ain't for the lighthearted. Fidelity has launched a Bitcoin data analytics service. Sorry, not for you. It's only for institutional investors and fund managers. Why would Fidelity do that unless there were a lot of institutional investors and fund managers interested in data analytics on Bitcoin? And in Europe. AXA, the second largest insurance company, is now letting its customers pay their insurance premiums in Bitcoin. By the way, you can't do that with life insurance premiums because of regulatory barriers. Deutsche Bank, they're exploring currency custody. BNY Mellon, a bank of New York, the nation's oldest bank, they're investing in a company that builds tools for the secure storage and transfer of Bitcoin and other digital assets. Silvergate Bank, they're already making loans that are backed by Bitcoin. Their custodian is Fidelity Digital Assets. Wealthfront says they're going to let clients buy digital assets later this year. Brevin Howard Asset Management, a $5 billion hedge fund, they're going to invest 1.5% of their assets in digital assets. Wall Street Bets, you've heard of them. That's the outfit famous for the frenzy in GameStop earlier this year. They're now allowing Bitcoin discussions. That was prohibited, but not any longer. And then, if that's not all enough to make your head explode, there are NFTs, non-fungible tokens. 
You've heard about this crazy stuff recently. An artist who goes by the name of Beeple created a painting online. It's only digital art. There's no physical drawing of this painting. And he sold it at an auction at Christie's for $69 million. That's not the only non-fungible token out there. The National Basketball Association is involved. They created something called Top Shot. They created 2,500 packs of player cards, sold them all for almost $1,000, 2,500 of them. And they were scarped up in less than 10 minutes. Tens of thousands of people tried to buy these cards and weren't able to do so. And the only way you can see them is online. In fact, the NBA created a special website called Top Shot that allows you to buy, trade, sell these playing cards. And it's all exclusively online. There are others getting involved in this, not least of which is the New York Stock Exchange. They've minted their first collection of non-fungible tokens. Six of them are called First Trades. Each token represents the exact moment a company became public. You've seen that on TV every day, where there's some CEO standing at the top and he rings a bell. Well, that CEO strikes the bell at the opening of the market activity when their company is issuing their IPO. So the New York Stock Exchange has an NFT collection celebrating the IPOs of Spotify, Snowflake, Unity, DoorDash, Roblox, and Coupang. Time Magazine is auctioning its own NFTs, three magazine covers of historical importance. Taco Bell is minting NFTs. So is Charmin and Pizza Hut. Pringles, Nike, Vodafone, Panini, Formula One, and Gucci, they're all issuing NFTs. So is Eminem, the famous recording artist. The iconic rapper won the Oscar in 2003 for Lose Yourself. Now, in partnership with Nifty Gateway, Eminem has unveiled his first 50 editions of NFTs. Each one costs $5,000. You get a physical print, numbered by hand, autographed by a rapper. The third is an edition of one selling to the highest bidder. IBM is using its blockchain technology. They're not going to be left out of this. They're turning corporate patents into NFTs. It's going to make it easy for patents to be sold, traded, commercialized, and monetized. Does this all sound wacky to you? Well, consider this. 15% of Americans have bid on a non-fungible token. What are they excited about? Well, how about Tom Brady, the seven-time Super Bowl champion? He's launching not just his own NFT, but an entire NFT platform called Autograph. He's bringing together some of the biggest brands and names in sports, entertainment, fashion, and pop culture. The platform will create, market, buy, and exchange NFTs. And it will also, reportedly, produce NFTs that feature Brady. Russell Okong, a Pro Bowl tackle for the Carolina Panthers, became the first NFL player to be paid in Bitcoin. Panthers pay him in dollars, and he converts the pay to Bitcoin using an app called Zap. Kansas City Chiefs tight end Sean Culkin did him one better. He became the first player to convert his entire salary into Bitcoin, almost a million dollars a year. Teams are getting involved. The Oakland Athletics selling a luxury suite for one Bitcoin. The suite costs $64,000. They're calling this a Bitcoin discount. The Oakland A's are the first Major League Baseball team to do this. In the NBA, the Sacramento Kings have been doing this since 2014. It's amazing how many companies are getting involved 
with such an extensive array of this. And let's remember that NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are a derivative of Bitcoin, which are a derivative of the blockchain, meaning it's blockchain technology, the underlying distributed ledger technology that was invented in 2009 that allows all of this to happen. It is considered a revolutionary technology, as significant as the invention of the internet itself. And when you look at all of the incredibly large companies that are engaged in development of blockchain technology, you begin to realize why this isn't going away. Forbes magazine, which publishes a whole bunch of lists, they have a list of top financial advisors, they have a list, of course, of the Forbes 400, the wealthiest people in the world, they've now just issued the Forbes Blockchain 50, the list of the 50 companies that are engaging the most in blockchain technology. And these names are companies, many of which you are well familiar with. Boeing, Cargill, Credit Suisse, Fidelity, Honeywell, IBM, ING, JP Morgan, Mercedes-Benz, Microsoft, MicroStrategy, the NBA, Northern Trust, Novartis, Oracle, PayPal, Samsung, Signature Bank, Square, State Farm, Vanguard, Visa, and Walmart. This illustrates that if so many companies are getting engaged to such a degree, it is pretty clear this isn't going away. And that's why we're devoting today's broadcast to talking with you about blockchain, Bitcoin, and digital assets. Coming up next on the program, government regulation. Is there any? What does it all mean? I'll tell you when we return. Stay with us for more here on The Rick Edelman Show. 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricestellman.com. author of the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to The Rick Edelman Show. We've been talking about Bitcoin and digital assets, and a big question everybody has is this going to survive government scrutiny? Are regulators or Congress going to outlaw this? Well, there's already a lot of regulation at both the federal and state level, as well as governments around the world, and the regulatory environment is going to increase. Governments are now taking the attitude that Bitcoin isn't going to go away. Instead, they need to get control of it. They need to regulate it the way they do other assets and other industries. Deutsche Bank, in fact, just released an 18-page study saying governments are going to start regulating Bitcoin this year. The paper says Bitcoin is, quote, too important to ignore and that its price, quote, could continue to rise as asset managers and companies continue to enter the market. Deutsche Bank says Bitcoin will remain, quote, ultra-volatile in the short term, and as a result, regulation is to be expected. But as I mentioned, we're beginning to see players in the government circle that are not anti-Bitcoin. In fact, they're really rather favorable. Gary Gensler, the new chair of the SEC, he taught courses on digital assets and blockchain at MIT. Clearly, this is someone who knows the space really well. 
Cynthia Loomis. She's a senator from Wyoming, a strong supporter of digital assets. She was just appointed to the Senate Banking Committee. And Sunaina Tudeja, who you've heard on this radio show. She's the former head of digital assets at TD Ameritrade. She was just appointed by the Federal Reserve as that organization's chief innovation officer. Yeah, the Federal Reserve focusing on innovation. How about the controller of the currency? They just gave a national trust charter to Anchorage Bank, a custodian for Bitcoin. Anchorage is the first national bank that is a digital asset bank. The safekeeping, management, trading of digital assets has been an issue for years, but this is a step making it go away. And the OCC, the Office of the Controller of the Currency, says it's applying the same standards to this charter application like for any bank. FINRA has also okayed the purchase of a broker-dealer by a digital currency firm. And Iowa is recognizing blockchain smart contracts, saying that digital contracts will now have the same legal status as regular contracts. But more regulation can be expected. In fact, there's a bill pending in Congress, authored by Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, Stephen Lynch of Massachusetts, Glenn Thompson of Pennsylvania, and Ted Budd of North Carolina, and Warren Davidson of Ohio. They've introduced legislation to have the SEC and the CFTC improve regulation of digital assets. What's the bill called? The Eliminate Barriers to Innovation Act. They want to improve the market for digital assets, including their fairness, orderliness, integrity, efficiency, transparency, availability, and efficacy. So very clearly, we are seeing that the government is slowly but surely embracing digital assets. It's not going away, so they're going to grab this tiger by the tail. Oh, and it's not just experts joining the government in decision-making roles, we have former government officials going into the private sector. Brian Brooks, who was the acting head of the Office of Controller of the Currency under the Trump administration, he's the new CEO of Binance. And Christopher Giancarlo, who was the former chair of the CFTC, is now on the board of BlockFi. So yeah, we're seeing the leadership making it very clear in both government and corporate America. And now a visit from Jean Edelman with her weekly segment and a special nod to this week's topic. Hi, everyone, and a happy Mother's Day to everybody out there for aunts and sisters and dog moms and cat moms and horse moms, everybody out there. Happy, happy Mother's Day. So what a fun show this is this week. Rick is so excited to talk about this topic more deeply. He's been talking to me about it for years. I still don't understand it, but I give it a good shot <laughs> when I can. But it is very exciting to really think about our children and future generations, what their lives are going to be like. They're going to know driverless cars. Their interaction and how they know money is going to be so different from our parents, our grandparents, even us. I mean, we are in the middle of this transition. It's hard, it's scary, but it's also so exciting. And so I don't want to take a lot of time from Rick, so I just thought I would share and give him his own word of the week. And of course, can you think what it's going to be? It's going to be Bitcoin. So the B is for believe. This pandemic had many downsides, but I always like to look for the upside. 
And it really, really made us look at ourselves and our society. What can we change? And currency is, is one of them. And it pushed us into the 21st century. So we need to believe in the new technology that we're living with, telemedicine, everything. And, and look at like all the online shopping and Instacart that made our lives so much easier while we were quarantining. We're swiping our phones to pay for something instead of touching a credit card machine and using dirty money. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought? So the B is for believe. Believe in this change. Believe in what's coming. The I is for innovation. To introduce something new and make changes to what is established and recreate this world around us. We have so much opportunity in front of us. It's exciting. The T is for technology. So many businesses, yes, we lost many, but so many figured themselves out how to perform during the pandemic and how to retool themselves, how to stay in business and be better at it. So the T is for technology. C is for change. Love change. It is an opportunity to see our lives in a new light. It is hard, but it's so healthy. It's so healthy. Change. O is for the opportunity. Don't miss an opportunity to learn, to create, to engage. It's, it's wonderful. It, it just gives us new life, new energy. It helps us want to get up in the morning. It's just opportunity opportunity. Eyes for invention, to originate ingenuity, experimentation, which means that if it doesn't work the first time, guess what? We get to try it over and over again. And that's what life is. Life is about changing, figuring ourselves out. If it doesn't work, move forward with what does. And that's the beauty. We're never stuck. Don't stay rigid. Find invention, find ingenuity, find the change and the opportunity. N is for new, the new us and the new world. It's very, very exciting. In my heart of hearts, I really feel that we've come out of this pandemic kinder, more generous, absolutely more aware of how fragile we are. With more gratitude, more focused, we know ourselves better. We have better boundaries. What's important? We know our partners and our family members better. And so embrace what's coming. It's very exciting. It will blow your head up because like you just don't really know all of what's going on, but it's just a great, great topic. Enjoy it. Take notes. Go do your own research and have fun. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. I know you're going to love this show. Thanks, everyone. That was Gene Edelman here on The Rick Edelman Show. And if you can't hear this entire program, you can download the podcast at rickedelman.com. This entire show focusing on blockchain, Bitcoin, and digital assets, it's important you hear it all. Go to rickedelman.com for the whole podcast. For free articles on personal finance, sign up for Rick's email. Let's go to the phones off to San Diego. We have Chase with us on the air. How are you, Chase? I'm doing good, Rick. Happy 29 years. 
Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. How can I help you today? Hey, so I like your rule about putting some money in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts about altcoins like Bitcoin alternatives, Ethereum and dirt? Well, that's really the key question, isn't it? Uh, if you're going to do this, that's a very big if. Uh, what should you do? Uh, there are 5,000 coins out there. Um, Bitcoin is the dominant one, the original one. It's about half of the total market. Ethereum is the second largest coin that has about 15% market share. There are 5,000 coins and there are tokens. There are non-fungible tokens. There are altcoins and uh, uh, stable coins. It's a huge array. It's kind of like walking into a supermarket saying, which product are you going to buy? Are you going to buy one? Or are you going to get a whole cart full of products? And so that's a key decision investors have to make. Uh, so first, are you going to invest? How much are you going to invest? And what are you going to buy? It's beyond the purview of this conversation on, on today's radio show to answer those key questions. But those are fundamentally the key questions investors have to address. I'm famous for the being the guy. Well, I don't know about famous is the right word, but I'm the guy who created the 1% Bitcoin strategy. I've been talking about this for many, many years on the basis of saying, if you're going to contemplate this conversation, and that's a big if, as I said, you don't need to allocate a large portion of your portfolio to this. This is a very speculative, uncertain, new technology. A lot of unknowns regarding competition, regulation, technology itself, uh, lots of investment risks. And so you have to begin with education. Is this something you should be doing at all? And if so, remarkably, you can have a material impact on your overall returns with a little 1% portfolio allocation. You don't need to have 5, 10, 25% of your portfolio in this. And so that makes it different and unique compared to other assets where you generally take the attitude, I need to have a material amount of money, a meaningful amount of money in my portfolio to have a material impact on the portfolio results. Bitcoin's price history, its volatility has proven that a 1% allocation can have a material impact on the portfolio. Now, we know past performance doesn't guarantee future results. We have no idea if this will prove true in the future. But at the same time, we know that if it goes south, if it blows up on us, Bitcoin becomes worthless, which could certainly happen. A 1% loss of your portfolio won't destroy your personal financial security. It won't prohibit you from achieving your retirement goals, for example. So a 1% allocation could help, probably won't hurt. And so within that context, a 1% is fine. So if you're going to do 1%, and again, it's a big if, I'm not suggesting you should, I'm saying if you do, you need to be prepared for holding it for a long time. You're going to experience likely lots of volatility. Don't be shocked if massive increases and massive decreases along the way. Don't be surprised if it falls completely worthless permanently. It's just the nature of this new asset class. And it raises the question, what should you buy? Should you buy Bitcoin? Should you buy Ethereum? Should you buy doggy coins? Should you buy any of the 5,000 other coins that are out there? That's the decision you're going to need to make. And I would recommend you talk with a financial advisor for some broad guidance to see if they're able to assist you in this decision making. Generally, I believe that the basic investment management strategies that we normally use are applicable. Dollar cost averaging, for example, investing slowly over a long period of time, periodically rebalancing the portfolio, diversification, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, so I think that if you learn more about this, you study it a lot more, you gain more knowledge about this entire ecosystem, the answers will emerge for you as to whether you should, and if so, how much, 
and what it is you should be buying and how you should be buying them. I think they will all become self-evident for you. Great. Thank you very much for your help. Chase, I really appreciate your phone call. That was Chase in San Diego here on The Rick Edelman Show. And if you've got questions, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. Harvey sent in his question. He recorded his voice on his smartphone, and he sent it to askrick at rickedelman.com. Here's his question. Hi, Rick. This is Harvey in Carson City, Nevada. I was talking to my 40-year-old son in Las Vegas last week, and he talked about investing in something called U.S. dollar coin, a cryptocurrency. He also mentioned a 15% APR. First, I know almost nothing about cryptocurrencies. And secondly, I'm apprehensive whenever I hear someone talking of 15% returns. We talked about the run-up in the prices of cryptocurrencies, and I told him that I thought he was talking about speculation, not investing. I also suggested that he not use any of his retirement account or any other monies that he couldn't afford to just lose. What would have been the right answer for me to give him? <laughs> well, I jumped into the pool. I'm wondering if I should have done that. Um, so, Harvey, thank you for your question. I don't mean to laugh, but it's always best to find out the answer to questions before acting. So uh, your instincts aren't far off. Um, so that's the good news here. Um, but as you noted, your lack of education, awareness, knowledge of cryptocurrencies is leading you a bit of astray, but not totally, not totally, again, because your instincts are good. First of all, let's quit calling them cryptocurrencies. That is a severely outdated and inaccurate term. The proper term are digital assets. And the reason I'm saying that is not simply nomenclature. There's a difference between digital currencies and digital assets. A digital currency is a currency that has a stable value. These things are also called stable coins because they are pegged to a real currency, a fiat currency, a currency issued by a government, the U.S. dollar, the lira, the sterling, the euro, the yen. So the value is always stable because the value of a dollar is always stable. So stable coins are one thing. Bitcoin Ethereum, Litecoin, Filecoin, 5,000 other coins, also referred to as altcoins, meaning alternatives, have varying values. It's the volatility that scares some people away and attract others. So we need to make sure we understand the differences of what we're talking about. And I would agree with you and your instincts when you say, wait a minute. Somebody who's talking about a U.S. dollar coin, by definition, that sounds like a stable coin where its price doesn't change. So how could it be offering a 15% rate of return? Your, your instincts are absolutely right. It doesn't pass the smell test. Something's wrong here. What I suspect is happening, however, is that what your son is referring to is something he doesn't fully grasp or understand and as you noted, neither do you, and I don't blame you. This is a pretty, what I'm about to say, a pretty esoteric element of the digital asset marketplace. Why would somebody buy a stable coin? I mean, if the coin's value is tied to the dollar, meaning a dollar worth of a stable coin is equal to a dollar and it never fluctuates, why would anybody buy it? Because it doesn't pay any interest. It's not like a bank account where you earn interest on that bank account. Uh, why would anybody buy a stable coin? The reason is that some investors are willing to borrow your stable coin so that they can engage in a variety of business activities within the digital assets ecospace. And I'm not going to bother getting into the details of what it is they're doing and what their motivations are and how they're doing it, etc. I'm simply going to make the statement 
a factual statement that there are investors willing to borrow your stable coins. And because there aren't that many stable coins available for lending, and because there are lots of investors interested in doing the borrowing, it's a supply-demand equation, and they're willing to pay high rates of interest. I've seen commonly 6, 8, 10, 15% rates of interest on certain stable coins. So what your son is describing is a strategy where you buy a stable coin, you trade your U.S. dollar for a stable coin dollar, and then you lend it to someone who pays you 15% interest or whatever interest it is the two of you agree upon. That's what your son's talking about. Is this too good to be true? Maybe. Uh, it's, it's a definite maybe. And the reason I say that is this is relatively safe based on how these contracts are constructed and operated. There are some pretty serious companies in this business that are doing this. It's all done on the blockchain using smart contracts on the Ethereum network. However, there is counterparty risk. Uh, there's no question that somebody willing to pay you 15% for use of your asset, is certainly expecting to be earning a lot more than 15% via their endeavor. And if they fail, well, then what happens to the collateral they're providing to you? So you want to make sure the collateral is significant enough to protect you in case what they're doing collapses. So yeah, there's no question there's risk about this. So is this something I would recommend? Yeah, from what you've described between your situation and your son's, no, I wouldn't, because it doesn't seem like either one of you know enough about this to be able to make an informed decision of a great degree of confidence that either of you know enough about what you're doing. This isn't equal to, oh, buying Bitcoin. That's a whole nother conversation. And in the world of things going on here, I would even argue that buying Bitcoin is probably less speculative than this idea. That doesn't mean nobody should ever do this idea. I would simply say neither you nor your son are there yet. So you need to up your knowledge on how this works so that you can more effectively evaluate the risks. Currently here at Edelman Financial Engines, we're not investing our clients' money in digital assets. But if you're interested in this ecosystem, you should begin by getting yourself knowledge, education, and training. Well, thanks for joining me for this very special broadcast on blockchain, Bitcoin, and digital assets. It is a clear element of the future and important that we are aware of what's coming. I encourage you to learn more about these subjects and talk with your financial advisor. Thanks for joining me. A very happy Mother's Day to you. And remember, if you want to talk with us about your personal finance, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or visit us at rickedelman.com. See you next week. The truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show.